Hey, this is Maya. And I'm Stephanie. And you're listening to The What Project. Where you'll hear inspiring stories of hope. Hey, everyone. Thank you for joining us today on this episode of The What Project. Before we jump into today's episode, we wanted to make a quick editor's note. First off, we want to say thank you to everyone who has listened to the the What Project. We have officially hit our one-year mark, and without you, this would not be possible. You have given us the strength to keep going. And we want to say thank you to the people that we've gotten to interview this year, as their stories have blessed us immensely, stories of faith and hope. Secondly, we want to give context on today's episode. Today, we get to interview our friend, Emin. Emin comes from a life living as a former Amish member. Some people may not know what or who the Amish are. The Amish are a private people who believe that God has called them to a simple life of faith, discipline, dedication, and humility. The most obvious trait of the Amish community is that they choose to lead a simple life, but the reason that they do this is because they believe simplicity is the symbol of humility. They take seriously the biblical commandments to separate themselves from worldly things. Now, oftentimes, the first thing that we're going to see that will identify the Amish is the way they dress. The Amish fashion styles are simple, practical, and modest. And clothing is usually made at home using plain pieces of fabric. The women will oftentimes be wearing dresses with head coverings, and the men be wearing slacks or pants, uh, suits with brimmed hats. Also, despite the many advancements in our society, the Amish typically do not utilize modern or worldly things. Things like electricity. Many times they will be heating their home by wood or lighting their house by lantern. Technology. Many Amish do not have cell phones and will have a community phone where sometimes they have to travel a mile or two to be able to utilize that. Vehicles. Amish do not drive cars or trucks. Most of the time when you see Amish, they will be driving a horse-drawn buggy. They believe that worldliness can keep them from being close to God, which could present influences that may be destructive to their communities and their way of life. By living simply and restricting access to unnecessary items, such as fancy clothes, TV, or iPhones, the Amish feel they can keep the modern world from intruding into their lives and allow them to remain focused on their faith and family. So that's a little bit of a synopsis of who the Amish are, what they believe, and 
we get to hear how Emin has come out of this lifestyle, this uh, very religious works-based lifestyle, and has come into a relationship with Jesus Christ by faith alone. So, without further ado, let's jump in to today's episode. Emin, hello. Hello. So, Emin, walk us through your God story. How did you get saved? Where did that start for you? Tell us, how did you meet Jesus? I think I would probably go back to 2007 when I went to uh, Canastota, South Dakota with a brother-in-law, Eli, and uh, we went out there for uh, chiropractor. Amish go out there a lot. And uh, we're out there for a week, and during that time, we went to a restaurant one day to eat, and I was sitting there talking to Eli and Susan, and an elderly gentleman came and just sat himself down out of the blue. Never seen him before. And he started asking questions. First, Eli asking if they were married, and then he asked me if I was, and I said, no, I wasn't. And then he said, asked if I had a girlfriend, and I said I did. And then he asked how we date, how the Amish date. Okay, so at this point, when you're having this conversation with the gentleman that you didn't know, you're still living an Amish lifestyle? Yes. Okay. Yes. So what happened through that conversation with this gentleman? After I explained how we date, the Amish date, he looked at me, he looked me right in the eye, and he said, how long do you think God will put up with that? That was the first time that I felt like God got my attention to like, okay, what's going on here? Why would someone say that to me? It caused me to start searching a little bit in the scriptures. I don't remember any specific verses, but I remember asking Eli, because Eli had been searching the scriptures too, I found out. Uh, didn't know at that time, but anyway, it caused me to start searching but not too seriously for another, well, 2015, so seven, eight years. Because I didn't really want to know. Because I wanted to still date like we were doing. And I knew it was sinful, though. Yeah, But so I just he, wanted to do it anyway. He kind of challenged your thought process. Yep. And you kind of had to decide, am I going to accept that challenge and look into it or just kind of tuck it back and keep yep. going? So when you were Amish, was reading the Bible something you were allowed to do, or was that kind of frowned upon, or what was your culture like? You could read the High German version of the Bible at home, but not go and talk about it, not bring it to church or anything like that. Keep it to yourself. And was the High German translation something that you had the ability to read? You understood yeah, the language? Yeah, I did. So Most was, don't, but I did. Okay. So you had the ability to. Yeah. So did you, when you did read it, did you talk to people or did you just keep it to yourself? Not for a while. I kept it to myself for a while. Yeah. I did ask those in leadership, the bishops and the deacons one time about that question about dating. And uh, the answer was that we know what the Bible says about that, but we we would just hope that Jesus would be okay with it, and these young folks would know, would have enough common sense to not do what is inevitable. 
Sure. So they kind of saw the guidelines, but they didn't feel it was necessary to enforce or, you know, hold a standard, I guess would be a better way to say it. They knew that if they pushed that specific thing, it would break the church apart because there's a lot of people on both sides. Sure. Hmm, That's interesting. So you said that that kind of sparked at least a little interest or wonder in your mind about what God thought. So what happened kind of after that? Um, In 2014, we joined a company called the Hope Movement, and I could never understand, I do now, but during that time, I could not understand why I had a desire to join that company. At that time, it was a strictly a health company. You could promote health products and make money doing it. But while I was there for the first couple of years, Another group of people from Florida joined the company as well, and these were a group of born-again believers. Their leader, was uh, his name was John Brickhart, and I was attracted to them big time. I couldn't understand at first why. I know now why. They were there to preach the gospel. The Promoting the product was just a byproduct for them. On January 1st, 2016, John challenged me to read the Bible through in a year. And I took that challenge. I accepted that challenge impulsively because I'm very impulsive sometimes. When I accept a challenge like that, I I don't back down. I, I follow through. That's just who I am. So I didn't know there was a chronologically ordered Bible that you could read day by day. All I had was uh, the one English Bible that I got my hands on, and I broke down the pages. So I just knew I had to read this many pages per day, and I did. I almost gave up February and March because, you know, you get into numbers. and But that was part of God's plan because April 1st, 2016, that same year, we went to a convention for the same company, and this group was there as well. And uh, we were just very depressed and, uh, I don't know, just disappointed with life. We wanted more, but we didn't know what it was. And we were afraid to do anything because we knew we would just get in trouble by the church. So you were still Amish at this time, yeah. even when you took the challenge to read yeah. the Bible all the way through. Yes, we were still members of the church. There's a big difference in the Amish. There's a huge difference if you're a member of the church or not. If you're a member of the church, that's supposed to be a lifetime thing. You can never get out. Well, you can, but not supposed to. Mm-hmm. So you started reading your Bible, and then you went to this conference, and you saw this group of people that had kind of encouraged you to read your Bible. So what happened when you saw them? Well, we went to convention uh, that spring, Thursday of that week. Seville and I were walking around. It was a big hotel complex. But what I remember is there was uh, little girls ice skating. And we were watching them ice skate. And somebody taps me on the shoulder. And it was Ed Henderson, whom I didn't know at that time. Ed and Cheryl Henderson, they're from South Georgia. And he just starts talking. He was one of those guys that I just knew that I could trust. 
you know, when you meet someone and you just know that, like, I, he stood there for two hours hearing me out. I was just dumping all my trash on him. And all he said at the end was, well, he wanted to know if Svilla was in agreement with what I wanted to do. I wanted to leave the Amish, but I didn't have the nerve. And Svilla said she is. He didn't, he wouldn't take my word for it. He wanted her to say it, which is good. Then all he said is, uh, come to a service Sunday morning at so-and-so room. Come to that. You'll be given opportunity to give your life to Jesus and start over. And we were like, oh my goodness, what is that? <laughs> Coming from a very strict religious background, did you have any reservations? A you know, lot. about, yeah, a going lot. to some sort of service. Because deep down, I knew that this was, there's going to be no turning back. That's what I was so afraid of, because I, I knew we would get booted out when we got home. I knew that would happen, but somehow Jesus gave us the courage to do it. We sat through Friday and Saturday's events. I wasn't sharing the gospel, you know, business and products and stuff. I don't remember a single thing that was said. I don't even remember being there, but I know I was there. We All we could think about was Sunday morning. What is this thing, Sunday morning? It was so exciting, yet we, we didn't understand. It just It was like we didn't understand until the moment that it happened. We were there an hour early, standing outside and waiting until they opened the doors. I'll never forget it because we were still having a hard time. Was it like, what if? All kinds of what ifs. And that what ifs regarded more to like, what if we leave the Amish and yeah. it doesn't work out? Or okay. what if we're wrong? What if we really do go to hell? Like the Amish say, if they have people believing that they automatically go to hell if they're not a member of the church when they die. That's really kind of interesting because it's, like the opposite of what the gospel is, yeah. where the gospel is if you don't ex accept Jesus and what he did on the cross, you go to hell, and that opportunity is for everybody. But when you look at it from that standpoint of what you were feeling from you know that religious group, it was more, if you walk away from our rules, you're going to go to hell, and not everybody even has the opportunity to really be Amish. <laughs> You know, it's it's just a very different way of thinking than what the gospel actually is, is that it's available for everyone and all it takes is belief yeah. and hell is gone. It's backwards. Yeah, but I can see where that would be very weighty. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it wasn't an easy decision, I'm sure, and to kind of have been told something your whole life to step out of that. I'm sure it took a lot of gumption. So you got to this meeting place an hour early. What happened then? Uh, a tall guy by the name of, oh boy, now I'm draw, drawing a blank. But he walked up to us and he just automatically started giving his testimony. To this day, I don't know if that was a setup or if that just happened or what. It doesn't matter because it was the tipping point for us because his testimony we knew was way worse than what what they did to him when he believed in Jesus and nothing else. 
Uh, he left whatever church they were part of, the Jewish church. And they took everything from him. The church did. And I knew that the church we belonged to wouldn't, it wouldn't be like that. It, it gave us the, I don't know, the courage maybe to actually keep going. Pretty amazing. That testimony, I'll never forget it. And I don't even remember much of what he said. I just remember what it meant to us. It's like, okay, we can do this. That's what my wife said to me after he shared his testimony that they won't do as much to us as what they did to him. Mm -hmm. Sounds silly now, but it was a big deal back then trying to make that decision. Well, that's interesting. Just getting a little bit into your story, you already have three people that came up to you unprovoked that you didn't know <laughs> that were pivotal yeah. in you know you understanding yeah. the gospel that's pretty neat do you know any of those men do you stay in contact with any of them the only one that i stayed in contact with on a regular basis was ed uh he passed away from cancer last year but he became my first spiritual mentor so you went into this Sunday morning service. What happened? They preached the gospel as clear as I've ever heard it. Like it was, it just, I just, I don't know. It was just made so clear to us that it's just Jesus. That's all we need to do. We just need to have faith in Jesus and believe in him and we can be saved. We don't have to do all this other stuff to try to be good enough and still then only have a hope that and not even know. And yeah, when they said we can come up front, we went up front. Walk us through how that felt. We were on cloud nine the whole trip home. We didn't drive yet at that time. And we went home on Amtrak and we were talking about all the way home. It was so exciting. We thought everybody, when we got home, we thought everybody's just going to believe this, our testimony. Everybody's just going to get saved immediately. <laughs> like we, we were thinking like the Thomas church. We went to church the very next Sunday, told them right away. And, you know, we got a kind of a blow in our face that realizing that, oh, okay, it's not going to happen just like that. But anyway, yeah, it was. It was the most awesome experience ever. I think the only thing that's come close to that since is when we got baptized. We got rebaptized a few years ago. Yeah, I have tried to describe sometimes what it feels like when you get saved and like that peace just washes over you. Yeah. And, you know, you feel the Holy Spirit and yeah, like your soul is settled. Oh my goodness. And just to feel that, like, those of you who are saved, you'll know exactly what I'm saying. And those of you who aren't, I plead with you to consider because, yeah, I mean, there is nothing like it to just have your soul reconnected and redeemed by its creator. It's like everything is back to being in the right order again. And as a human being, like, that is an amazing feeling that you can only get through a relationship with Christ. Yeah. We wanted everybody to know. Yeah, so when you came back to the church, they didn't uh, feel your enthusiasm? No, not, <laughs> not at all. Uh, one story that I remember very clearly of that day is my word travels fast. I don't think there's, even though they don't have technology, I don't think any community can get word faster, spread than, quicker than the Amish. They are super good at spreading news. Uh, anyway, 
Amish church is like three and a half, four hours. And so during the service, there's a period of time when everybody can take a turn or walk out and stretch your legs and do stuff, whatever. And I was outside and my brother Cherry came up to me and said, like I said, in the middle of church, he already knew. And he said to me, you cannot do this. You have to be a member of this church to go to heaven. And I said, so what are you saying? Are you saying everybody else besides this church is automatically going to hell? I mean, do you realize the mon- how small a minority of the world the Amish are? Do you really believe that only the Amish can go to heaven? And he had a few tears in his eyes. And he looked at me and he said, I've never thought of it that way. He said, I, I don't want to be caught saying that. No. No, he said, uh, let's just agree to disagree for now and let's remain to be, remain friends. So that I, I, was, I felt later like that was a God thing because I could still speak into his life later because mm-hmm. we hadn't cut that off. But that was very profound for me because I, I just was like, really? Only Amish can go to heaven? Amazing. I don't think so. Anybody that believes in Jesus can go to heaven. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when you went and told the church, were you just, you and Sevilla went and told the elders or you made like an announcement in church? How did that happen? Sevilla didn't say anything. Women don't have any voice anywhere in the Amish church. I did. I talked to the deacons and the preachers in the morning right away, told them what was up. They didn't make you leave that day though? No, they were just going to punish me, but it didn't matter. They could punish me all day long. I was leaving anyway. I was out of there. Sure. So once you made that commitment, I mean, you first made the commitment to Christ on your trip, and then you came back and, you know, told them what had happened and kind of shared the gospel with them. What were the next steps for your family since you no longer fit into the Amish church? Well, it was a whole bunch of sad visits. Everybody was coming over and visiting us and trying to talk us out of our, what they call nonsense. Uh, that was probably the first year until that kind of wore off. They realized that we're, we're serious about our faith and we're not, we're not being moved. And then the kind of the next phase was, I really, and I still do, but I really, really wanted all my Amish friends to experience what I, experience or what we experience and but i realized very quickly that they all have guards up they don't even want to listen they don't even give me a chance to start that reminds me of the scripture from first corinthians 118 where it says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of god that verse gives me a lot of encouragement sometimes because yeah, when you know Jesus, you want other people to know him because you know how amazing he is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, whether it's Amish or anyone that just doesn't accept what Christ has done, yeah, they look at you like, man, you're just foolish. <laughs> but scriptures like this are so encouraging because like, God doesn't leave us there. He, he even tells us, like, yes, this is how it's going to be viewed in the world yeah. and that 
is what people are going to say. But, you know, I'm real and it's real to you and keep sharing it with others. So at this point, when you had, you know, talked to the church, you had these people trying to kind of convert you back to being Amish. You were married. Did you have children? Yeah. So how did your family react? Uh, We mostly got disowned at first, especially by my family. And hers kind of, you know, not very welcome anymore. That changes usually over time, but it was that way for the first few years. So once you got saved, did you know other Christians near where you lived, or did you have any sort of support system in that way? No, not right away, but one of the things that uh, Ed Henderson and Brick Hart do is they go to your neighborhood and they search for good churches, Bible-believing churches, to get you plugged in. And they had, their intention was to do that for us, but before they got around to it, uh, we went to Red River to witness a baptism. Two of the my wife's brothers were getting baptized, Levi and Adam. And so that's how we got to know everybody at Red River. I think you had told me the first time that you went there, though, you weren't like <laughs> super excited to go. I was a little bit worse than that. Yeah. <laughs> my wife, uh, I just went to please her to get her off because I was 100% convinced that all churches were nothing but a bunch of hypocrites. I didn't, I was never going to be a part of that anymore ever because, you know, the experience I had, I was sour about it. But when I walked in there, first thing I realized is that these people don't care how I look. There was a love there that I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my head around for a while took me six, eight months before I finally said, all right, this is where we belong, where my family belongs. This is our church. So once you found a group of other believers, maybe had a little more encouragement, did you see growth and change in your life? Back to the first couple of years of still being Amish, but being saved. Uh, I When I said I desperately wanted all my Amish friends to experience what I experienced or had been experiencing was that I I didn't realize it at the time, but I didn't have the right attitude in my heart. I was focused on proving them wrong. I was not focused on just showing them the love of Christ. And so it wasn't going anywhere. And I was praying about it one night, and I felt like God said, go find a small group, a solid small group to pluck into, and you just need to grow. You need to learn and grow. And that's when I started going to Larry and Cheryl's Bible study. And I didn't look up from that for a couple of years. And then one day I realized that there's fruit happening amongst the Amish. Joe and Werner Slabo were some of the first ones again after that. And I, I was praying to God about that. I said, why did that happen? Why couldn't, why couldn't it happen two years ago? Or, you know, and he said, cause your heart wasn't right. And, you know, it's all about his timing anyway, but I just found it interesting ever since that, I don't focus on trying to prove anybody wrong. I focus on sharing Jesus. That's it. Love of Christ. So, 
was baptism something that was practiced by the Amish? Yeah. When you're 18 to 19 years old, um, you have to join the church. Baptism is, they say the same words that we would or that the Bible says. Uh, we baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. But you're being baptized into, now you have to follow the rules into the church. And you're locked in for life. That's the really what you're being baptized into. So the emphasis isn't on Jesus. It's on, um, you know, no. more of the checklist of yeah. what your bishop says. Have you gotten baptized again now since you've gotten saved? Want to tell us about that? I went to Rochester to a church on a Sunday, I don't know, four years ago maybe, because my nephew was getting baptized. And while I was sitting there watching that, I started thinking about it. Like, I'm not even baptized, am I? And so there's a, a, a man there. He's become sort of a mentor. So I asked him after church. I said, I'm really struggling. I feel like I should maybe get baptized again, or am I not really baptized at all? And he said, well, what makes you say that? And so I explained to him how and why I got baptized when I was Amish. And he said, no, I don't think you were baptized. I mean, he said, I'm not going to tell you you have to, but I think you should. So I went home and told Pastor Mike, we got baptized the next time there was opportunity. And there was a whole, that's what I was saying earlier, that, that was similar experience to getting saved. Just the peace and excitement of yeah. the Holy Spirit. Yeah, knowing that you were obedient. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, you know, a public display of saying, this is it. I've chosen Jesus. I'm going to follow him. Yeah. Yep, I remember there was also attacks afterwards, too, that next week. Yeah. Which like is normal. Spiritual warfare yep. type things. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that's a piece that isn't always discussed, that Satan doesn't want you to follow Christ. No. He doesn't want you to have your theology right. <laughs> no. He doesn't want you to, you know, feel that peace. So when you do, yeah, he likes to try to throw you off in whatever way he can. So you had mentioned that early on, even before you got saved, someone had challenged you to read the Bible all the way through. So did you finish the Bible and read it all the way through that year? I did. Okay. What was your takeaway from that first time of reading the Bible? Well, I got saved three months into it. And so I, I now, looking back, part of the reason I went through what I went through is for the people, the Amish people that are going through it now. Because it's always easier to help someone when you've been through it. Um, and so when I know, when I hear that people are reading their Bible consistently, I know it's common. It's just a matter of time because the word cuts deeper than anything else. Uh, do I remember any specific verses? Not really. Uh, but I remember after April 3rd, finishing reading the Bible was way more exciting than before. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, later on in the summer or fall, I got into the New Testament finally, and that was kind of a breath of fresh air for me at that time. <laughs> Yeah, a little bit easier to understand. 
Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in the Old Testament and we need yeah. to read it, but yeah. yes, I understand that. So is Bible reading something that you still do? Mm-hmm. Every day. I think it's important. I don't try to make it a rule though. Like, you know, if if a day, I'm sure days have gone by in the last few years, I guess I can't point to any specifically, but I think getting that daily word of God in you is extremely important. Yeah. So with reading the Bible, do you have a favorite verse that you lean on now? I have a bunch of favorite verses, but probably the one that sticks out the most is Romans 10, 9. That's one of our favorites. <laughs> you want to share it with us? Because it's always worthwhile to read it. That if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I'll just read the next one too. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. It is by openly declaring your face that you are saved. The thing that got me about that verse, the, verse 9 was at the end of it, so there's a couple things that happen. This is the NLT version. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, other versions say was your mouth, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you got to do this and this and this and this as well. Or it doesn't say you might be saved. Yeah. It doesn't say you could be saved. It says you will be saved. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I went back to that verse hundreds and hundreds of times in those first few years because I kept hearing Satan say, and I didn't know it was Satan at that time. I didn't understand. But I kept hearing, you don't really know. Are you really saved? That sounds a lot like back in the garden, if you think about it. Yeah. But I just kept reading that again and again and again and again. And I kept saying, well, yeah, I believe it. Well, then the Bible says I'm saved. Yep. Yeah. And you can trust God's character. You know, that's one of the things we get and see through scripture is God's character. And he says he's unchanging, you know, so you can really hold to those truths and understand like the first step for everyone is exactly that verse. You have to say it with your mouth, believe it in your heart, then you're saved. After that is when you see your life change, when you pursue God. But I do think those lines kind of get muddled sometimes, you know, to where it's, it can come across like you have to do this and this and this <laughs> so that you can get saved. But how it actually is, is you get saved and then you're compelled to change this and this and this because you realize it doesn't line up with God's character and you love God and you want to line up with his character. Can I share another verse? Absolutely. Uh, like I said, I have many favorites, but uh, this is one that was really stuck out to me. Not quite that far back, but more in recent years. In John six twenty eight and 9, it says, they replied, we want to perform God's work too. What should we do? They were talking to Jesus. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Well, who did he send? He sent Jesus. That's the only work he wants from us. I mean, I know that a lot of other stuff comes with it, 
when we believe that in our heart truly. But really, that he's he's making it clear. That's what he wants. Yeah. When it comes to the rules, and and not not having to do the rules to try to go to heaven or work our way to heaven, um, my go-to verse is Ephesians two eight and nine. Uh, God saved you by grace when you believed. You can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So none of us can boast about it. Can't get much more clear than that. Yeah. Right. And that kind of ties into that point that the doing what scripture says is being able to turn around and worship God with the way that you live. There's one more uh, pivotal moment. And this had to do with several years after salvation. I don't know the exact time, but we come home, we became born again believers of Christ, followers of Christ, and on fire. But the struggle wasn't over. It took us three plus years, or I should say it took me three plus years to get to a place where I, I completely left. Like I was still dressed Amish. I didn't drive. I didn't get driver's license and all those things because that, that's considered kind of like the last step. Like once you get driver's license, you're all right, we're done. They're, they're not even going to try no more. And I didn't want to do that because I knew that that would be the final cut or sever. And a lot of that had to do with my dad. My dad and I have been in business for many years, and we always had a blast doing business. And I didn't want to lose that, but I knew I would. But four years ago, almost to the months, it was in March four years ago, I went to see my friend Ed Henderson in Georgia, the one I mentioned earlier. We had a couple things in common. One was bass fishing. We both love fishing. And they have large mouths down there. So I'd go down there and we'd go fishing. One morning we were in the boat, just him and I, we would go out there and we'd have the most awesome fellowship ever, fishing and having fun, talking to the Lord. I'll never forget it because I was really battling with it's time to make a decision. I got to make a decision, but I, I don't want to make a decision. And I had never told him anything about that. In the boat, I was all of a sudden drawn to look at him. And he had his back turned to me. And then he turned around as I'm looking at him. He turned around and he looked at me and he pointed his finger and he said, Emman, you have one foot in religion and one foot out. You're in danger of falling back in. That's all he said, turned back around and went back to fishing. And I knew that was God without a shadow of a doubt. I went home and told my wife, all right, we're out of here. And that was, you said, about three years after you had gotten yeah. saved. Yeah. It's a process. Yeah. It takes time. It helps a lot now having gone through that because I have a lot more patience with people. I see people all the time now. They're kind of they're coming to church, this or that, the other thing, and they're trying to get out, but they're it takes time. Yeah, the word refinement is one you come acquainted to as you're a Christian and you follow God, because yeah, I think I can identify with your story and getting saved, and you kind of feel a little bit like you know everything, and then you 
grow a little bit and you realize you didn't know everything and then you keep growing and keep learning that you needed to be refined and changed and it's a growth process continuously and ultimately you're just seeking to be more like Christ and to have wisdom but it's not something you attain and just stop it's something you work toward always my life lately seems like it's been two to three year seasons so I've gotten the kind of become aware of that enough to where I'm expecting it a little bit. But one of the things I've become very clear to me is if I don't know in two years ago where I would be or what I would be doing, what God would have me doing now, I would have said, no, there's no way I would have, I would have run away. And two, three years prior to that, same thing. That's why God doesn't always tell us right away what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we have to grow into it. Yeah. What would you say to someone whose view of God just feels like a whole bunch of rules? Hmm. I remember feeling that way. When I was a kid growing up, uh, I thought he was a big, mean God just waiting for me to mess up. And then I would be punished. I guess I, I, one thing I would say is start reading the Bible. Yeah. Because that's one of the things that God taught me in those first three years is I was trying to help people. I was trying to make people get it, make people understand when it's not my job. Uh, I can from time to time when God set it up, but it is in the Word of God. If they start reading their Bible, It'll happen. It'll be just fine. They'll get it. I think sometimes we get caught up on a view of God that we see through other people. Mm. And we interpret his character that way. And that's one of the things I think that's so powerful about scripture is we're just able to see God for who he is through his word instead of, you know, seeing it through a, a picture of maybe someone that's hurt us or, you know, those type of things that can happen in our life because we are sinful people and we all can make mistakes and hurt each other. So we're never a perfect reflection of Christ. But when we read our Bibles, we see, you know, the perfect account of who God is. So I always remind people, if you've gone through hurt from a church or maybe you've been in that legalistic setting or, you know, whatever, just make sure you're going back and seeing who God really is and lining your view of God up with God's word. Yeah. There's no better place to find out who God is than in the Bible. Seek him and you will find him. There's a verse out there like that. Yeah. I think that that was the pivotal moment for me in uh, starting to see fruit amongst the Amish is when I stopped trying to convince people of things or make them believe things. And I took them to he who could. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of the number one ways is to get that, encourage people to read their Bible because it's the living word of God. It, It is him. The word is him. And when they read that, it took such a load off of my shoulders knowing that it's not my job. I used to get so frustrated when people just didn't get it. It's because I was trying to do it on my own. 
God says you don't need to do that. that that's my job. I'll, I sent my helper, the Holy Spirit, to do that, to convict people. It's so much easier, so much simpler anyway. But something that I've been thinking about lately is uh, I've been talking to a lot of the people who have recently come out and, you know, trying to see how they're doing. And so there's persecution. It's not physical, but there is a verbal persecution that happens when people leave the Amish. And some families are way worse than others. Like my dad, when I told him, he cried, but he said, let's not focus on your truck or my buggy. He said, let's focus on God. That was like so awesome to hear. Like he literally just gave me permission. He said, let's not focus on those things. Let's focus on God. Hmm. But others, um, I can think of one specifically that first time he walked into his mom and dad's house was a Bible in his hand. He got stopped at the door. And we don't want that thing in our house. Him and his wife were at our house a couple Sunday nights ago. I was asking him about how he's doing, and he said that he's thankful for the persecution because he doesn't think he would have made it. He doesn't think he would have come to believe if that didn't happen. So people are always trying to get out of the Amish without getting shot. So the only way that can happen is if the church splits and breaks wide open. That happens typically every 20 to 30 years. So people are waiting a long time. I stopped praying for that. I've been praying that it wouldn't happen and that people would get shunned because I don't want necessarily the people to have to struggle through that. But if that's what it takes to find Jesus, then it's worth it. That's the whole point I wanted to make. Across the board, whether we're discussing, you know, the Amish religion or if you're agnostic or, or anything, and even within the Christian, and the air quote Christian, because I think that's a very broad word now, what would be the one thing you would say to just anyone who's seeking real truth? What is the piece of truth that you'd want to share with them? I'd probably direct them to the book of John, the gospel of John. I just feel strongly getting people to read the Bible for themselves and not just be told. Yeah, hearing the gospel is awesome, but read one of the gospels. You'll meet Jesus. You'll find the truth. You'll start reading stuff that will jump out at you and you'll be like, what? Is it really that simple? That's what my dad said. Can't be that simple. When I shared Romans 10, 9, he said, can't be that simple. So yeah, I'd say I'd, say I'd probably just go right back to reading the Bible. Since you've gotten saved and left the Amish, has anyone in your family gotten saved? My dad, he cried. He said, it couldn't be that simple. And so I closed my Bible up pushed it over to him and said, do you believe the Bible? And he said, yep, every word from Genesis to Revelation. So I opened it back up, turned it around, went right back to Romans 10, 10 9, and I, I read it to him again. And I said, now you read it. 
And he read it silently, and I said, I want to hear it out loud. So he did. And I said, now read it again. I made him read it like three, four times in a row. And he just he just started, he had tears in his eyes, and he said, I understand where you're going with this, but I can't do it. It's not that simple. And at that point, I realized that the Holy Spirit was saying to me, you need to back off. It's not your job to force anyone to do anything. So I let it go, but I was praying all the time. And a few months later, I had another opportunity with him. And he, I was in the same room with him alone. He's My dad's a secret believer, I believe. Bible actually talks a little bit about that. But anyway, I said, hey, how are you coming along with your face with Jesus? And he said, Jesus and I have a, how did he say it? Jesus and I have an understanding now. And he had the biggest smile on his face. <laughs> he didn't want to like, you know, say I'm saved or born again, but I believe that's what that means. Yeah. I mean, whether you're coming from an Amish background or, or anything like that, that is just the simple truth. Yeah. That's all it takes yeah. is a faith in Jesus and what he did on the cross and you are saved. When that revelation sinks down deep in you, it is like a freedom like never before. It is amazing. Yeah, I mean, it's, an, it's a promise for eternity with God. And all of the struggles of this world will come to an end. And nothing can separate us from that love of Christ. And we will be in His presence forever. Total perspective change. Thanks for joining us today on this episode of The What Project. If you would like to stay connected, go follow us on Instagram and Facebook. We hope that you have a great week and that you will join us again on the next episode of The What Project. Mm-hmm.